You are listening to History Man, the platform for historians, authors, and museum directors to tell their stories of the American Revolution, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are with Mr. Jay Bobo, the state president of the South Carolina Society Children of the American Revolution. Welcome, Jay. Yeah, it's great to be here. Jay, before we get started, we want to recognize one of our affiliates, the Cultural and Heritage Museums of York County, including the Southern Revolutionary War Institute, focusing on the Revolutionary War in the Carolina backcountry. So, Jay, you are part of the uh, South Carolina Society of Children of the American Revolution. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that group. Uh, So, it's a historical society for children whose ancestors either provided aid or fought um, for the revolution on the patriot side. We have um, a national society in the U.S., and there's also foreign societies in Germany, uh, Great Britain, and France as well. I didn't realize it reached that far. That's, that's pretty phenomenal. So you are a senior in high school right now, and you're getting ready to go off to Mississippi State. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's the plan. That's the plan. Well, uh, kudos to you. You've reached a milestone in your life. We're here to talk about a couple of battles that you've kind of worked into your research as being the president of the uh, of your society. Let's start off first with Rugeley's Mill. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, so Rugeley's Mill is located in Kershaw County, South Carolina, uh, about 12 miles north of Camden, South Carolina, uh, where the Camden battle took place. And the battle took place on December 4th of 1780. But prior to the battle, the British troops rested there before the Battle of Beaufort's Massacre under Commander Bannister Tarleton. And then the American troops rested there before Camden in 1780, in August of 1780. Well, it makes sense because uh, Rugeley's Mill was located on the Great Wagon Road, right? Between, right. Uh, between Camden and uh, the Waxhaws and Camden and, and Charlottetown and Camden and, and Salisbury. This was like the interstate of that time, yes. right? So when so it makes perfect sense that the American forces, when coming up to Camden, they would have obviously been co- traveling south, so going south on that wagon road, it makes sense. It's not super far from the uh, Battle of Camden. So, And same thing with Bannister Tarleton and his cavalry. It's not that far. Um, and it runs right by both of those battle sites, the Great Ragon Road did. So So when the British came into the state, te- their loyalties were tested. Henry Rugeley, uh really backed the British at that particular time, didn't he? When, yes, he did, the- correct. When the choice came down to it, he did choose the British side, um, although he also had friends and lots of other people he knew on the Patriot side, which came to test the waters later in, his, later in the military career. Well, describe the um, the house and the layout of his his land uh, at that time. So Henry Rugeley was it was a trading post. Rugeley's mill was so obviously it was well not it was a pretty wealthy house. He was a pretty wealthy man. So the house um, you can imagine was big, lots of land around it, um, and the barn uh, with you can imagine it was it had to have been a pretty nice place at the time. Um, when you think about his wealth. So my understanding, there was actually even a general store there. Yes, that's correct. There was a general store. So the place where traders, you can go buy stuff as well as the traders um, came in, came through that way to trade their goods for 
money and that sort of thing. So when the British came into the back country or into um, any area and they started taking over buildings and using them as uh, fortifications, what kind of fortifications would they erect around these buildings that they would occupy? So a great example of this actually at Rugeley's Mill, they took the barn, uh, the storage barn, and they added a second tier for musket firing and cut loopholes in the walls as well as an abatis surrounding the barn. And pretty much an abatis is just these long tree logs pointed on the end to prevent troops from coming too close to the building. And so they actually constructed a ditch and, and pushed that dirt up against the, the walls of, of the barn and, and stuck the abati out of that dirt that they had pushed up against that barn, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so the barn itself consisted of pretty strong logs, according to some of the research that uh, we were talking about prior to the episode, right? Definitely. Um, and one of the things is those logs, they were so securely in there that it took, you couldn't just push them down or pull them down when you were fighting. You took a lot of work and effort. So December 4th, 1780, I think is the, the date when this happened. What happened, where, where does this fit in the whole timeline of the Southern campaigns of the American Revolution? So Kings Mountain was in October of 1780. And then you have, it pretty much happened between Kings Mountain and Calpins because Calpins occurs in January of 1781. So it's right between those two battles um, in terms of the grand scheme of things. The British were just getting over their loss at Kings Mountain, and then they were regrouping from there, and just over a month, Calpins was going to come around. So. so Cornwallis, who was in Charlotte at the time of Kings Mountain, he actually retreats back into South Carolina and ends up in Winsboro, correct? Yes, so when after the victory at Kings Mountain, Cornwallis retreated from Charlotte down to Winsboro, um, where he felt safer um, and less likely to be in his force to get taken over. I guess more of a safer strategic position for the for his army, he felt. Right. Tell me a little bit about how this actual battle took place. What happened? I mean, how, yeah. does it, how did this work out? Uh, so William Washington um, was given orders to go to Bruce Lee's mill. By uh, who? By... General Morgan. So Daniel Morgan is down here at that particular time now. Yes, he's down in the so south. So Kings, Kings Mountain, all the militia in Kings Mountain have, have taken their prisoners and they've gone back over the mountain and they've, uh, they've, they've kind of dispersed into the mountain regions. And Cornwallis is, is trying to figure out what's going on. In the meantime, Washington has sent Daniel Morgan down to, to follow up on this great battle that has happened. Try and gain more and more momentum um, on the Patriot side in the South. Right. So Daniel Morgan stationed in, in the northern part of the state. But what is he? You're saying he's, he broke off his William Washington's cavalry in, in King yes, of Yes. So he dispatched a small um, portion of his army under command of William Washington, and he sent them actually down and split his army, which wasn't a great move at the time when you think about splitting your army to go take care of something like Rugeley when you know that uh, Cornwallis was, isn't too far away. But Washington, he didn't have any heavy equipment. I mean, we saw this at Rocky Mount with Thomas Sumter trying to take on the fortifications at Rocky Mount. He didn't have a, Washington didn't have a cannon. No, he, well, you're right. He didn't have any sort of artillery or any 
big heavy guns. It was just militiamen um, and infantry with their rifles and then the cavalrymen. So there was no artillery, very limited supplies. So they were running on um, little to no uh, supplies and food and things like that. Well, certainly, Rugely understood this. Yes, Rugely definitely understood this, um, and that's why they were prepared when William Washington approached the barn in Dece- on December 4th. Now, how many people did Rugely have with him? Rugely had roughly 114 men, including himself, the majority of which were British militia, and he had one or two officers. And, you know, we, we've talked about before this episode, when you go back and look at the historical record, some of the numbers that come up in these historical records, uh, whether it be after-action reports or, or stories that come in, you know, where people are writing from memory in their pension applications, those numbers kind of go back and forth. So when we say 114 or when you say 114, you're really talking approximate. Yeah, I mean, it depends where, where you look up. It's different, but it's, all around, it's pretty close to that number. So how many did uh, William Washington have? Uh, William Washington had the reports, like we were just saying, vary a, a lot more um, in this sense. Some people, some places say that there were only 80. Others say there could have been as much as 300 men. But either way, when you look at it, the battle going up against a fortified barn, those odds still aren't good, regardless of whether it's 80 or 300. Right, right. So... Tell me a little bit about the terrain. And we've got uh, listeners in Germany. We've got listeners in Australia, Canada, uh, California. Uh, tell us a little bit about the terrain that uh, Rugely's Mill is located and, and the, the trading post is located on. Currently, it's a wooded area, but at the time it wasn't. It would have all been flat. Um, but it was located it up was, on a it hill. It was located, yes, that's correct. The barn itself was up on a hill, which means when... William Washington showed up, he not only had the fortified barn he had to worry about, but he was also below in terms of positioning. The British had the high ground um, in that sense. So it was a, that obviously doesn't increase your odds in your favor either. So he was up against a pretty magnificent force. I think, uh, I think some of our listeners would like to know uh, kind of the, the soil or the topography. When you get south of Camden, it's more of a sandy plain. The soil is sandy, and but Camden is really kind of the where the fall line is for the river right there. So from north of Camden, it starts becoming very rolling Piedmont, uh, a lot of rocks, a lot of red clay. This certainly, Rugely's Mill was certainly in that type of uh, environment, correct? Yes, um, and another thing that made the positioning of Rugely's Mill so great for the mill itself, the trading post, and when the troops camped there was the fact that Granny's Quarter Creek was is just down the hill from it, so it wouldn't have been far for things like water and stuff of that nature. Sure. All right, well, tell us, uh, so William Washington comes up on the mill. What do they do? Um, you know, he comes up on the mill um, he approaches the property and sees the British holed up in the barn, and he obviously knows the odds as good as anyone else does, realizes that a victory without artillery is probably unlikely, and he'll lose a lot of men. So he orders his men to go cut down some pine logs. He covers the top in tar to appear. It's called, it was called the Quaker gun trick. So you cover the logs in tar to make them look like a metal barrel at the time, 
and he positions them just inside eyeshot of the British, not close enough where they can see that it's clearly not a cannon, and he tells them that he's got a cannon, and you know, you either come out or we're going to shoot the barn, and the barn can't withhold cannonballs. It can, it could musket balls, but it wouldn't have withheld a bombardment of cannonballs. So he positions them, he says, look, you either coming out or I'm going to blow you to smithereens, and with that, it wasn't much of a battle. There weren't any shots fired, to my knowledge. Um, and the British just came out and completely surrendered all there um, at the at the spot for the most part, which was it was a huge victory in terms of looking at the supplies and the lack of supplies that the Patriot forces would have had. The victory captured four supply wagons, so that helps with um, food and bullets and things of that nature. And then they also captured several horses, which makes which does a lot of help on easing the soldiers' work, what they have to carry. We have, because of the advent of the camera, we have photographic images of Quaker guns being used in the Civil War. But here, Quaker guns were used in the Revolutionary War, right? Yes, and even before the Revolutionary War, they were used. It's called the Quaker gun trick because the Quakers had a vow of nonviolence. So when way back um, when they first started settling, when people first started settling, um, in North America, the Quakers, they would have used this to trick their enemies into thinking that they had cannons without breaking their vow of nonviolence. Very interesting. I would imagine that Rouge Lee, a colonel in the British forces, came under a lot of fire uh, from his superiors after, after the surrender of this fortifications. He did, and when you think about it, it make it makes a little bit more sense when you consider how quickly that surrender was. It wasn't a whole. It's not like he surrendered after a bombardment or long days. It was a pretty quick surrender, and the his superiors obviously would have gotten word that it wasn't even a real cannon. He pretty much took a position of an easy victory and turned it into a pretty devastating defeat. And it really ended his military career in terms of um, aftermath of the battle. Cornwallis later wrote Tarleton and said that Henry Rugeley wasn't going to be made um, a brigadier. This battle among his loyalty questions uh, pretty much effectively ended his military career. So what was some other loyalty question that he had? Um, it's said that he might have warned um, Governor Rutledge about Tarleton coming. Bannister Tarleton, they didn't actually camp at Buford's Massacre, but what they did do is Governor Rutledge was staying at Rugeley's Mill the night before Buford's Massacre, and he had just Rugeley warned Governor Rutledge, and Rutledge left. Uh, Tarleton left Camden about 2 a.m., got to Rugeley's Mill, and that's where he found out where Colonel Abraham Buford and his troops were, and they, uh, Bannister Tarleton took his troops the battle of the Waxhaws, and the rest is history. Uh, his leadership was, was great at Hanging Rock when he brought his men down in a defensive position. So he had some talent, and he had some loyalty, and he had some uh, knowledge about uh, what he needed to do during, during the fighting and stuff. But certainly, it all kind of caught up to him there at, the, at, this, at this particular battle. Uh, what happened to him after the war? Um, after the war, when the once the revolution was over, he got like a lot of loyalist um, commanders and that had, got his property seized, um, and he ended up going down to Jamaica and just got completely away from all of it after the war was over. So he retired in Jamaica. 
uh, wow. in a sense. Relocated to Jamaica. He gave up all his all, all, his, his, all his land and, and his commerce there. Which in, you can in imagine would have been worth a lot of money at that sure, time. Sure, sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, how people can reach uh, the CAR. Uh, yeah, so there's a national website um, that you can reach, uh, nscar.org. You can reach it there. It's got That website's got all the information on how to become a member in the process and things like that. The range kind of goes from zero to once you turn 22. Um, and then when you turn 22, you can join things like the SAR, Sons of the American Revolution, and Daughters of the American Revolution, also known as DAR, which also... Same kind of thing, just for adults instead of the children. You know, from a freedom standpoint, the experiment of the United States of America, and it was held in the balance during the revolution, but that experiment was unheard of in the history of the world. And uh, the, it, it warms my heart to see you getting excited about this sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, one thing I'd just like to point out um, for the listeners out there, when you look, you hear about the Yorktowns, the Cowpens, the Kings Mountain, the big battles, but these smaller battles like Rugeley's Mill, even though there was little to no conflict whatsoever, that's where the that's where the war was won, and these small victories that no one has ever heard of, it really boosted morale on, on both sides um, at different points in the war. So, Jay, thank you so much. It's a pleasure sitting down with you. Great to be here. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>